people try and never go, oh, I tried monogamy and then I had one monogamous relationship that didn't work. So monogamy is not for me. No one ever does that. So it's like non-monogamy, it doesn't always work, you know, but it doesn't mean that non-monogamy is not right for you necessarily. Sometimes that is the case for sure, but it's like we have very different standards. What's up, lovely human? It's CNC, your host, and you're listening to That's Exciting, the podcast. Today, we are talking about ethical non-monogamy with my friend, Carol. Back in 2021, I started a photography project on ethical non-monogamy. And if you follow me on Instagram, I did a survey asking people what they knew about non-monogamy, what they wanted to know about non-monogamy, and gathered their questions. So today, we will be exploring this in an audio form with my friend, Carol, where we dive into an intimate and honest conversation about about her journey, about how she figured out that ethical non-monogamy was a thing and healing this messy ass process that is so worth it. So, ethical non-monogamy, or also known as consensual non-monogamy, is an umbrella term under which falls many different relationship structures. So the key difference, if we take monogamy, monogamy is one partner for life. Modern monogamy is one partner at a time, and usually this style of relationship requires your partner to be sexually and emotionally exclusive to you. And for ethical non-monogamy, your partner or partners and yourself consent to having the space to be able to connect with people and the capacity that you desire that may be emotional that may be sexual romantic and more so you can be in an open relationship in a free relationship you can be a swinger you can be monogamish or polyamorous and these are all terms that we'll get more into further in this episode these relationship structures may take many different shapes and forms and there's no one valid way of doing ethical non-monogamy so people's relationship people's dynamic are all different they all have their own twist and flavor. So whether you consider yourself a monogamous person or someone who adheres to ethical non-monogamous relationship structure, I think there's great gems and takeaways from this episode. And also hearing from people's experiences and walks of life is so fascinating. Without further ado, let me introduce my good friend, Carol. Carol is a facilitator, change practitioner, dreamer, queer black feminist consultant, writer, visual artist, and poet. She's a pleasure activist following the footstep of a role model, Adrienne Marie Brown, who wrote Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation with my friend Carol. And on this note, enjoy. Hi, Carol. How's it going? Hi, it's good. How are you? Good. Lucky to have you on the podcast to speak on ethical monogamy. Mm, I'm so excited to be here. Yes. You know, you are a representative of the whole community. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're doing it explicitly. explicitly. I love it. Let's go. The first question I ask on my guest is, what are your sexual green flags? For the new listeners, sexual green flags are indicators that you'll have pleasurable, consensual, and safe sex. I love this question. I think identifying my green flags has definitely been a process. Definitely mm-hmm. a sense of humor. Knowing that somebody doesn't take themselves too seriously is very sexy. And, you know, it's just a good sign that I'll be able to communicate things with them and it won't be judgmental. So, yeah, just being able to to have some fun with it. And also, like, during sex, being able to, like, laugh 
and joke around. Awkward moments are fun. It's, it's like, oh, you fight it. Ha ha ha. You fight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Cheeky fanny fart, you know, happens sometimes. <laughs> you fight. That's amazing. And then I feel like one of the most important things is curiosity. Like if you can show me that, like even just in conversation, because to me, like that's part of foreplay as well. The conversation beforehand. I'm like, oh, am I feeling good? Are you making me feel good? Are you curious? Are you asking questions about things that I've said? Are you noticing things that I've said? And then that also translates into the bedroom or wherever you're deciding to do it. I like that. I like that. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like how does this feel? Like, does this feel good? So that's amazing. Today's topic is ethical non-monogamy. How would you define your relationship style? Let's take a moment to speak on alternative relationship structures, or as I said, relationship styles. So I'll read the definition for monogamish, open relationships, swinging, and a broad definition for polyamory. I'm referring to a blog post from Shrimp Teeth, and don't worry, it's gonna be in the show notes. Monogamish. This term was coined by Dan Savage, and it describes relationships that are monogamous, so being exclusive emotionally and sexually to your partner, but from time to time allowing a hall pass, if I can say. Open relationships. Open relationships tend to involve a primary couple who allow other sexual or intimate partnerships, though the level of emotional involvement tends to be more limited. Swinging. These are couples that play together with others. Polyamory. Polyamory is engaging in an intimate relationship with more than one person. So that means that you may have multiple romantic partners or sexual or emotional partners. Within the polyamory umbrella, you may find monopolyam, polyam intimates, or ace polyam, polyfidelity, solo polyam, hierarchical polyam, or non-hierarchical polyam. And you can read all of those definitions on shrimp teeth. So in essence, these relationship structure allow to connect with others in the capacity that you want. It may be romantic, it may be sexual, and it also may be emotional. If you're curious to know more about ethical non-monogamy relationship structures, because yes, there's more. Feel free to do your research on Google because they have a lot of information. And so let's get back to Carol's answer. I think that I'm a, like the ambition or, or the vision for myself is to be polyamorous. Okay. I am still in the process of sort of figuring that out. And I think that's also what's beautiful about this, mm-hmm. you know, being in non-monogamous relationships is you can sort of fit it to whatever your needs are and like whatever it is that you enjoy. And I love having that freedom. I feel like I do have the capacity to love many people. Like I do have a lot of love to give and I just enjoy being able to connect to different types of people. And I love, you know, this idea of getting my needs met from different people and not Mm -hmm. putting an expectation on like one individual to meet all of my needs so for someone that has never heard of non-monogamy they would be like what do you mean about like having your needs fulfilled by many people can you expand a little bit on that Mm, yeah sure i was socialized and kind of grew up with this internalized monogamy and like to me part of that idea is that you know there's your soulmate somewhere out there and you find them and when you find them it's like you're this like perfect puzzle match fit Mm -hmm. and everything that you need they can provide to you Mm -hmm. and then as I like started to 
have experiences dating people I'm like oh like we're always making compromises you know with the people that we're loving and, and giving love to and in its work it's not just like oh this like magical happily ever after like you have to work to make a relationship fulfilling and to make it work mm -hmm. you know I was finding that expecting somebody to show up in all of the ways so like to be an emotional support to be like oh like very sexy erotic like enjoying physical time together to be like a best friend to you know all the things that make a healthy relationship and you know I think that's really specific to an individual but for me I'm like I get things from my friends that you know my like lovers maybe don't bring to me and that doesn't take away from somebody who I am in a romantic relationship's capacity to to love me right. and to be in relationship with me so for me that was a very freeing realization to be like oh you know I could actually be with many people who bring different things to me that really fulfill me um, but I think it's a easier said than done mm -hmm. I think part of my journey of non-monogamy is figuring out what are the things that I actually want and need and what have been projected onto me like what is actually external and what is internal did you go through like a discovery process to know that you are ethically non-monogamous or have you known all your life it was definitely a process of discovery yeah I think I absolutely thought of myself as like being on that like escalator vision and like mm -hmm. you know finding like a man as well to be with and like having kids and getting married to like I guess there was like a tipping point for me of really realizing that monogamy wasn't for me mm -hmm. and unfortunately that came from doing unethical non-monogamy in the sense of you know not having the communication not having any of the skills and the tools to be able to do this in the right way because I didn't even know it was an option mm -hmm. I had a really long-term relationship with somebody who you know really loved me deeply and I loved him very very much there was that breakdown of trust after I cheated on him and then I was like but I'm realizing that this is because my need is for us to be non-monogamous but once that trust was broken down it's very difficult to transition into an ethical right. non-monogamous situation and so I feel like we were really stuck for a long time mm -hmm. trying to kind of figure it out and make it work and you know for him being monogamous was important within that context where there was that breakdown of trust because of my actions mm -hmm. um, and for me being non-monogamous was like I was really realizing like I need to do this mm -hmm. and so I remember having this like real conflict and, and, and conversation with him too about like why is it that monogamous me is the default you know mm -hmm. why is it that my need to be non-monogamous is not as like valid as this need to be monogamous so mm -hmm. coming out of that relationship I really had a better sense of what I wanted and what you know non-monogamy meant too like I did a lot of educating myself and finding information and resources about it and then building my capacity to communicate so any new you know potential romantic interests like that was a very clear thing that I put on the table straight away what would be the difference between ethical and non-ethical non-monogamy so I mean I guess for me it's so deeply rooted in communication basically and like over communication at some point yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, honestly this is why I love non-monogamous people because the communication is just like gold it's beautiful yeah and I feel like that's something that we're so not taught to be able to do there's a lot of just like hiding things and a lot of shame so I feel like a big part of my journey has been like shedding shame and like being able to communicate my needs in a way that I'm not shaming myself and I'm not accepting shame from other people unethical non-monogamy was being dishonest and not communicating my needs and like desires to like be with multiple people and be with other people and then doing it anyway and it's like it's not a terrible thing to be like I'm interested like I want to build something with you and I'm also interested in building with somebody else or even just like you know exploring a, a certain aspect whether that's like physical 
physical connection, emotional connection with somebody else. And that that's okay. You know, for me, that was the biggest thing. It's like, oh, it's okay. That doesn't make it wrong. And mm. there is still work to do in terms of like that unlearning piece and healing. Mm-hmm. Attachment styles, trauma. I know you've yeah talked a bit about that as well. They definitely like are part of this conversation. Can you unlearn jealousy or is jealousy <laughs> a part of ethical non-monogamy? Because I've did a survey and one of the things that came up is what do you do about jealousy? Mm-hmm. Are you jealous? How yeah. can you like all yeah. of the things around jealousy and also possession mm-hmm. came up too? Mm-hmm. So is there a process of unlearning jealousy or is jealousy a part also of being in ethical non-monogamous relationships? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. I do think it's a misconception that like non-monogamous folks don't get jealous. For me anyway, that is absolutely part of non-monogamy is feelings of jealousy. But I think that the way that I approach them is extremely different to how I used to. I think like the go-to for me was like if I was feeling jealous, then I was blaming somebody for those feelings. You know, it's like, how dare you do that? I'm feeling jealous because of an action that you just did. And this is so interesting because I don't know where I've heard this, but people get jealous in every series of their life, maybe at work, maybe from a family member. You don't put it on the other person. But once it's in a relationship, it's you're doing this thing that makes me feel jealous. So you better stop right now what you're doing. Yes. Which is very interesting. Exactly. And yeah, I think that that is a huge lesson because also part of being non-monogamous has been like taking responsibility for my feelings and really learning that, you know, my feelings are my my responsibility and your feelings are your responsibility mm-hmm. and we can support each other. But, you know, it's never somebody's fault that I felt away. Like, no, that's that's my, it's an invitation. Like I think of jealousy as an invitation to look at what exactly it is that's making me jealous and what's lying underneath it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've seen those like emotions icebergs. Yes. Where you have like an emotion at the top mm-hmm. um, and that's how it's presenting itself. And then there's everything else that's actually happening underneath. You know, what are the root things that are going on? So for me, jealousy is like the top of that iceberg. And then it's like, okay, I'm starting to feel jealous. I'm noticing feelings of jealousy. So I'm going to look under the water and see what's actually going on beneath. And that helps me to understand myself better. And then, you know, being able, if that is within kind of the realm of a relationship that I'm in, being able to talk that through with whoever, you know, those feelings have come up with has been very healing for me. And it's not in a way to be like, you did this to me. How dare you? I'm angry at you for it. Right. But more to be like, I'm noticing that these are the things going on for me in a really like non-judgmental way, a non-accusatory way. Mm-hmm. Oof, I think I, I smashed that word. <laughs> I wasn't sure it was going to come out all right, but I think it did. <laughs> but yeah, and then us having a conversation about what that means for boundaries moving forward. You know, is this actually like I'm feeling jealous and I'm noticing it's like triggering certain things in me because of X, Y, Z experience that I've had in the past. But, you know, I just want to talk it through and then I'm going to let it go. And that's it. Or is it like, actually, I'm feeling these jealous things because of X, Y, Z that maybe happened in the past. And it's a non-negotiable for me that we have to shift things basically as a result of that for me to feel comfortable and to feel safe in this dynamic and in this relationship. But it's always a conversation and it's like coming from a place of like listening and hearing each other and trying to understand each other. Which is beautiful. One tough lesson that I've learned from having open, honest communication is that my triggers or mine mm-hmm. somebody else is not responsible for my triggers yeah unless the person is actually doing that to like with malice mm-hmm. but otherwise i am responsible for my own triggers and that was a hard truth to understand 
This is speaking on behalf of my experience. And by that I meant I'm responsible for the way I decide to respond to my triggers. No matter what happened in my past, I'm in control of my reactions. And it really comes down to that for me. And that shit takes work. It really does. It takes work and courage. And I have to take care of my own star player, myself. And these are the words of Jenemika, trauma media consultant, comprehensive sex educator, and sexual assault and trauma expert. She said that on Enjoy the Podcast. So let me just play it for you real quick. We still have to figure out the ways that we can take care of ourselves. I always say like, you have to take care of your own star player. And you are your own star player in every game you play mm-hmm. in life. And I wish it would be easier to be like, well, that's on you. So I'm not even gonna take that on. But it is within us. And we're the ones that are stuck with how our bodies show up, how we're sleeping, how we're eating after we're in those things. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not anyone's fault on how to, it's not anyone's fault and or how do you figure out your own shit. Sometimes I joke about this. I'm like, Ugh, I miss the days of just, you know, <laughs> being able to just like not have to like look at myself mm-hmm. and like really be honest with myself about what's showing up. Like it's much easier to just blame other people for your shit, you know? It is. It is a difficult process, but it is extremely healing. Mm-hmm. But it, it takes work. It's like therapy, you know? It's like spending time to actually look at the things which are difficult for you and how things are showing up for you and why they're showing up for you and like it's therapy and practice it is it's what it is <laughs> like yeah. in therapy you talk about all the theories and you understand yourself but like now you're on the field <laughs> and you're doing it <laughs> exactly exactly and it's mouth yeah and you learn from the process mm-hmm. you can do all the mitigation from like you know like i said it's important to have those conversations from the get-go and be clear but then it happens and shit goes left and then you're like okay <laughs> let's <laughs> let's talk about this and figure out you know how do we move forward from from this but it's interesting too I've, I've seen this somewhere where people are like people try and never go oh i tried monogamy and then i had one monogamous relationship that didn't work so monogamy is not for me no one ever does that so it's like non-monogamy it doesn't always work you know but it doesn't mean that non-monogamy is not right for you necessarily sometimes that is the case for sure but it's like we have very different standards and another thing too i did couples therapy for a little bit which was really interesting and it was with a therapist who was non-monogamous herself and queer so helpful in those ways there were times that these feelings of like that internalized monogamy were coming up for me right and so something she offered to us was to like give that space like she invited us to think about those parts of ourselves that maybe we're a little bit ashamed of but like to give them a personality give them a name like actually just like fledge it out that's awesome so i had somebody called socionormative sally who lives okay. inside me okay. socionormative <laughs> sally yes <laughs> and like she's super monogamous and she super wants the like you know what we said before with oh, the patio man. the marriage the kids like the escalator like that's that's her vibe and she does live inside me so it's like being able to accept that there is that and and yes I am like unlearning it and I know that that's not what Carol me I want but I have to respect the fact that there is a part of me that does and like Mm -hmm. how do I work with it as opposed to fully rejecting it have you ever encountered someone that tried to talk you out of being non-monogamous that's a great question I think these days like that's just one of my red flags I guess Mm -hmm. like I would never pursue somebody who can't understand or can't even get behind it because it's a lot of work like I'm just I'm not willing to be that support person to Mm -hmm. work through like why this could be possible also I'm not trying to convince anyone to like live a certain way right so I think like I said these days that's something that I put on the table straight away Mm -hmm. it's a non-negotiable for me that you're not that you are non-monogamous but that you are 
willing to respect that I am. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm still figuring out, like, am I actually willing to be in relationship with somebody who defines themselves as monogamous and what that means? Because I do think sometimes, like, people be like, oh, you're non-monogamous, fine, like, that's cool, but, like, I'm gonna try and get you to be monogamous and commit to me. I'll change you. Yeah. I'll change you. So, yeah, that's something I'm still figuring out. But I think in previous relationships, which started off monogamous and I was trying to transition into non-monogamy, you know, there is that feeling, which I can really empathize with, of, oh, that means that I am not enough or, you know, that, you know, internalizing these these feelings of, like, rejection, basically, because I'm saying that I would be interested in seeing other people as well. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of, like, because I want to be with somebody else in whatever way takes away from you. I can understand where that comes from. Like, I was taught that, too. I was socialized to be in competition, especially with other women. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, yeah, that reassurance, I think, is a really big part of being in, in these types of relationships and giving space for, like, those feelings of jealousy, basically, and, like, working through them. But knowing where the line is of oh, you're trying to change me. I guess people would ask the question, would you say that you're a very confident person in order to be in a relationship with multiple people or to have a partner that is in a relationship or that see other people? Hmm, that's interesting. A confident person. I think the first thing that comes to mind is like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Because I have definitely been underconfident and experienced like low self-esteem, especially, yeah, just like growing up as a woman in like a female body. It's tough out here (laughs) so (laughs) there's a lot of messages kind of just like pulling you down and like making you feel unworthy and like I guess I'm not sure that I would frame it as confident Mm -hmm. but I think that there is definitely a need to work through and work on yourself to your point of what does that mean which is a very fair question. I think people would think as it is competition. So for you to be like confident in what you bring in a relationship, to be like, this is what we have and be confident in that as well and in yourself and what you bring to the table. And also it's all right if you see other people too. So I think like that would be like how people maybe would see it where it's like, well, you're in competition with all those people. Like, and that person might have a bigger interest for somebody else. Or I thank you for that clarification because yes, I think that there is a need you must have a sense of like being grounded in who you are and feeling Mm -hmm. secure in yourself in order to be able to do that and and to me that is about healing like definitely it's like are you healing your wounds your internal wounds are you working on that and that is the way for you to feel secure in yourself and secure in your relationship and it makes me think of this book which is really brilliant called polysecure and it's about attachment styles and and then how like trauma and trauma theory are like nested within attachment styles. And what's really cool about the book is like it's just talking about that for almost half of it. Nice. Then it gets to being like what does ethical non-monogamy mean and how does that fit? Because I think the whole point uh, that she's making is that like you need to work through those attachment traumas and like your relationship to trauma or the traumas that you have been through or your trauma response rather I should say. And only then can you start to be able to practice ethical non-monogamy. That's dope. That is half the book. That's like it's a great book you need to know this <laughs> yeah it's work <laughs> i know there's a lot of people that think that ethical non-monogamy is just about sex mm-hmm. is it just about sex <laughs> no absolutely not and it's funny like you were saying people trying to convince you out of it and i'm just thinking of a date actually that i went on and mm-hmm. yeah this person was basically like i shared you know that i was non-monogamous and they were like basically like you're you're a sex monkey you know <laughs> And I'm like, yes, and no. 
<laughs> Thank you for that, but no bitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think that, yeah, that's absolutely a misconception. Mm-hmm. And you can be non-monogamous, you can be polyamorous and like not even have a lot of sex. Like it can be very emotional. Like you can be like demisexual. You could be asexual and you could be non-monogamous, you know? Like it's about being in relationship with people in whatever way that you want to be. And sex doesn't have to be at the center of it, but it can, you know? But I really like appreciated, you know, The Ethical Slut being another book that is brilliant. I feel like it's like the non-monogamy Bible yeah, in the many ways. Like, <laughs> Literally. The, the exactly, like. the go-to. And I just liked that kind of reframe too about like, what does it mean to be slutty? And I think mm. growing up, like that was definitely, you know, I was slut-shamed externally, but I also internalized it and, and would do it to myself. And so I'm loving just that reclaim of being like, yeah, being an ethical slut, it's great. And for me, like, yeah, sex is a part of it, but it's absolutely not all of it. And sex to me has been part of that like healing journey too so really being able to look at the way that I show up within sex and how that's come about and like how in some ways it's been really like performative and like from the male gaze and so reclaiming sex for myself and then like reclaiming my sluttiness within that and so it's actually quite like pg a lot of the time but it's like (laughs) but it's still like fun you know i don't know so yeah it's absolutely not just about sex but i think how monogamy can be like holding hands at the park yeah absolutely exactly (laughs) right (laughs) so cute so wholesome (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) holding two people's hands at the park skipping (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing ethical non-monogamy being a lot on conversation a lot of communication do you have any communication tips to people for me a big lesson has been not ignoring my like actual physical bodily intuition i think a big problem that i have faced is dealing with resentment because of not communicating like my needs or what's coming up for me in the moment and just like kind of like suppressing it and letting it build letting it build and then it sort of explodes does it stem from oh i should be okay with this or is it something else Mm -hmm. yeah sometimes it's that and i think you know i'm a recovering people pleaser so Mm -hmm. like just accommodating people has been something that I have learned to do I think in some ways it's also like gendered right and it's a way to stay safe as well like I really appreciated learning about how appeasement is a trauma response so there's like fight flight freeze and appease or fawn Mm -hmm. exactly I was like damn yes that makes so much sense like it has been very important for me in my life to like try and make sure people are comfortable is everyone feeling okay like Mm. you're doing good and that being more important than how I'm actually feeling and so really learning to ignore my intuition to be like oh you know you're feeling uncomfortable but that doesn't matter because what matters is that this person here is feeling comfortable Mm -hmm. the reason that I did that was literally for safety you know like that's something that I learned to do in order to stay safe but now it still happens even though safety is not an issue you know like I am safe so it's okay to be like oh I actually need to go to the bathroom um, and pee but I'm like not doing that because I don't want to upset you or make you think what you said is not interesting go ahead (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) that was a great (laughs) you no okay (laughs) I was like oh go ahead go ahead that's hilarious that's just an example right Uh it's like actually physically holding in you know my need to go to the bathroom because i don't want to like 
be rude as opposed to listening to myself so that's just like a small example of it but ultimately like me just realizing that those things build within me and it's never as bad as I think it's gonna be for me to just speak my truth people actually want to hear what I have to say and want to hear what makes me feel comfortable so it has just been really learning to reconnect to my the signals that my body gives me about my needs and to share them and express them in the moment so that has worked really really well for me it's like even if I'm feeling a little bit annoyed somebody showed up late to a date that we had and you know I've been sitting around looking cute for like 30 minutes and I'm getting a little bit pissed off in the past I probably would have just been like it's fine like I'm pretty easy going you know I think that's also a learned thing but then it comes off in a different way so yeah. it's like passive aggressive comment or it's exactly and that resentment so just being like you know I've been ready and I've been waiting for 30 minutes and I'm a little bit frustrated that you were late but it's fine like let's just have our day and I want to have fun and I'm able to have fun because yeah. I've expressed myself and we've Great. had that conversation it's also choosing your heart in the way that it's hard to say that but it's also harder and maybe not harder but it's hard to say hey i'm displeased with this but it's also hard not to do that and then in the long run you build resentment and then i won't want you explore it mm-hmm. explode mm-hmm. So it's like yeah. you choose your heart as well exactly and like, exactly and it's worth it and that's always the voice mm-hmm. in my head i'm like remember like the impact of not doing this and not expressing it you know it's far greater than this like in the moment just dis- slight discomfort mm-hmm. i really do love being able to do that and building my capacity to do that mm-hmm. that's definitely one communication piece that's super mm-hmm. important and i would say the other other one is like actually just like making space for having conversations about the process of the relationship so like I said I call the them check-ins. process checks yeah or like check-ins so to just like you know I think sometimes what happens with me is that if I haven't actually spent time talking about how it's going within a relationship I start to feel really disconnected from whoever I'm with so just being like oh like can we do a check-in whether that's like once a month to just like talk about you know how is it going what are you enjoying like yes. let's get some healthy feedback and then yes. what can be better mm-hmm. you know and to me like after I have those conversations like I have the best sex yeah <laughs> you read my mind <laughs> Let's talk about check-ins. I love check-ins and I have them with my family, with myself, with my friends, and also in romantic settings. Check-ins are basically a moment that you take to talk about what's going right and what's not going so right in a relationship. Let me just preface this by saying that I am no professionals, but I'm just someone that really likes this open, honest, and vulnerable way of communicating. Check-ins about the process, like Carol is saying, are great because we're just checking in to see, hey, are we still on the same wavelength? Are we still riding the same wave and enjoying our time together? It's also a great opportunity to hold space for the other person. And for me, this absolutely shows that you care and appreciate this person, that you care for their well-being and that you wanna know how you can support them. Little anecdote, I am someone that has a lot of ease at expressing how I feel. That being said, it can be difficult being vulnerable at times, but I'm able to do it. And it's not the case for everybody, and I had to learn that. Oftentimes, what can happen is I centralize the conversation around, hey, I'm feeling like this, I'm feeling like that. Then I have an exchange with the person, and I'm like, cool, the person said they're peace, they said that they're good, so we're good. But is it though? So what I started to do is hold space and ask questions. How did you feel about that? What does it mean when you do this? What does it mean when you say that? 
So I get to know the person I'm holding space and also ask, how can I support you when this happened? I've noticed that I talk a lot about myself. Is it something that you've noticed as well? And how can I hold space for you in this area? And that could be a one-time talk where the person tells you, nah, it's fine. Or it could be like, yeah, actually, let's work through this together. So overall, I just love check-ins to have these moments of connections of intimate honest and vulnerable conversations and to know hey we're still good we're still in the same wavelength or what can we adjust where are we at and those conversations start with ourselves so it's having check-ins with ourselves journaling but it's it can be easier said than done having check-ins is really helpful because sometimes i'm trying to practice that in the moment communication and expression but it doesn't always work you know and i actually that is something that i've shared with partners as much as i know my feelings are my responsibility i can find it really hard to express it so if there's yeah. moments where you feel like you can invite some of that in and create space like that is so i appreciate that so 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 much like mm -hmm. i find that such a beautiful way to be in relationship with me is to create space for me to share my truth yes um and so that's a way it can be collaborative like i think mm -hmm. sometimes you know that idea of your feelings are your responsibility you can feel a bit isolated and you know it's like okay i this is all me but like we're in community and like healing happens yeah. in community like and as long as you can communicate what you need to somebody and they know everyone wants to know how to support you when you're like oh I'm having a shit time they're like is there anything that I can do to help I always found that question so hard like I don't know how you can help I don't know what kind of support I need like I've been taught to deal with my own problems myself mm -hmm. so like using journaling which I yeah. love to figure out okay what is it that actually would be helpful and supportive to me and then how can I bring somebody into that who cares about me and wants to help like mm -hmm. that's awesome what would you say is the best part of your relationship style I just feel like so free. I think mm. that is what I love. Like I have been in relationships where I've just felt like trapped, you know, or, mm -hmm. or yeah, like just having these expectations or like things that I feel like I'm not allowed to do and I don't really understand why. Mm, <laughs> like yeah. I feel like I've just been, you know, had a sort of liberation in terms of being able to like be true to who I am mm -hmm. and to exist in how I want and like there's not a wrong way to be in relationship as long as you communicate <laughs> yeah exactly exactly you know? so yeah. yeah I think it's just that sense of like advocating for myself mm -hmm. and like being true to myself Carol, thank you so much for being on the podcast and letting us in on your journey and your process and sharing your truth. And you can find her on Instagram. Follow her art page at Black Art by Me. So today was one of those awesome conversations where I got to sit down with my friend, bond, and exchange. And that in and out of itself is just truly amazing. So y'all already know I'm about to be bugging in your ear about... You're gonna rate this podcast five stars and leave a review five stars. Oh yeah. So today, let me read a review I had on Apple Podcast. Janice Sweetness rated the podcast five stars and said, I'm staying for the content. Your podcast is very entertaining and well thought out. Well, thank you. And be like Janice Sweetness. Leave a review and help out. This really furthers the conversations and lets me know that you want these conversations to move forward, to have more of these conversations. And speaking of those conversations, they wouldn't be possible without you listening right now. 
now. So I wish to thank you for tuning into this podcast and just rocking with me ever since January 11th of 2022, where when this journey actually started. So with a heart filled of gratitude, I say thank you. And also, I hope that you liked today's episode and that you stay curious because that's exciting. exciting. See you next week. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Before we leave, on production team, recording, editing, and sound design by yours truly, myself, Yancy. Special thanks to Jane P for her assistance on production. The official That's Exciting Anthem by Calder Nash. The amazing vocals on the track by Mel Pacifico. That's all for today's episode. And until next week, stay curious, because that's exciting. Baby, come inside me. Oh, I-